Brought to you by Feitner Productions. From the Unreasonable Doubt Studios, in association with Feitner Productions, this is Laying Down the Law! With your host, Billy DeClerc, and co-hosts, Kristen Drenning and Curtis Rutherford. Featuring a jury of genius jokesmiths and paneled with the help of Publishers Clearinghouse, auditors from the firm of DCH Lottery Management, and selected by random draw from a hermetically sealed mayonnaise jar every Tuesday and Thursday at half past never. Only a madman would bring these people together to construct an entire virtual world of law and order simply to tear it asunder with ruckus laughter. That madman is attorney Billy DeClerc. The result is a podcast blasted to the farthest reaches of the interwebs. That podcast is this one, and it starts right now. Welcome to Laying Down the Law, a comedy podcast hosted by me, the mascot chicken of a legal cheesecake factory, Billy DeClerc. I'm co-host Kristen Drenning, an actual lawyer, a storyteller, gal about town in Austin, Texas. And I'm Curtis Rutherford, the co-host of this podcast, the creator of Improv Beat by Beat, the audio interview textbook of improv comedy, and the non-legal, non-improv book, laser-focused on SAT math, uh, and a lot of other things, mostly improv shows and that sort of thing. But let's meet our guests. Our guest today is actor, improviser, costume designer, and fashionista, Pia Smith. Pia, you just came off of a couple super hot wardrobe gigs. Tell us about it. Girl, I so did. I so (laughs) did, and I killed it. When I say that I design costume, I designed costume for huge entities such as Toyota. Sirius XM, also BlackBerry. BlackBerry is back, y'all. I signed an NDA, so I'm not allowed to tell you the huge things that BlackBerry is up to, but I can tell you that everyone in the spot is dressed by me, and they look amazing. Ooh, that's fantastic. I know. Oh, wow. Well, Pia, it's great to have you back. How how many times have we had you on the podcast? You're practically a co-host. I think we've had you on at least a half dozen times. I'm going to say about half a dozen. Yeah. It's always super fun. This is my first time in 2023. There we go. There we go. I'm thrilled to have you on the show, of course, as always. But before we get into talking about the law, let's take a break to promote some good stuff. Hopefully me, some of my friends, and maybe some filthy lucre monetary sponsors. Here's the story of coronavirus. When the government was clearly unprepared, all of us had heard the dire warnings. And we all got scared. It's the story of a world pandemic where we all were told to lock down in our homes with lots of hand washing and soap
You're on mute. Live comedy the second Saturday of every month at the Pack Theater in Hollywood. And we're back. Are we ready to get into it, folks? Woohoo! All yeah. right, let's go. I, I love the enthusiasm. Are we ready for the case of the week? Um, this is um, the United States against 50 acres of land. It seems like a little bit of an imbalanced matchup. This also feels like a, oh, wait, if corporations can be people, can anything be people? Let's have 50 <laughs> acres, Sue. 50 acres versus a pencil. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, literally. Yeah. The, the, they, the, the land is people in this, I guess. So this is um, a case from the United States Supreme Court, 1964, with an opinion by Justice Stevens. The reason it's called 50 acres of land is because it is what's sometimes referred to as an in rem proceeding, which is with reference to a piece of property. So it's not um, litigants necessarily you know, the cheesecake factory against um, their mascot squirrel or whatever, but it's it's all of the claims regarding a specific piece of property. So the litigants here are actually all government entities. I'm going to lay out the facts a little bit for you, and then we're going to take a break and come back for comedy court. This case comes out of the Fifth Amendment of the United States Constitution. Um, and there are various clauses of each of the amendment. The particular clause that's relevant here is the just compensation clause. And so when the framers of the Constitution were thinking about the government's ability to take land from people um, or other property, setting aside searches and seizures, one of the things that that they put in there is the idea of just compensation, which means that the government has the power, it's called eminent domain, to condemn land and take it for public purposes. And there's a whole big, long unit in constitutional law about the contours of the Fifth Amendment, um, about just compensation. And about um, when when can the government take uh, property under what cir circumstances? And it's a big area. Exhaustive area, exhausting area, but thankfully not an issue here. The taking mm -hmm. is good. <laughs> mm -hmm. And um, no offense to some of my learned colleagues, but um, eminent domain lawyers are um, super specialists. Um, it's a, it's an area where basically if you do eminent domain, that's all you do, but it's a, it is a big area. This is a, a case out of my remedies textbook remedies. For those of you who weren't listening to the last episode in which I explained what remedies are, go back and listen. Come on, come on. You can do it. We're not going to get paid by these sponsors if you don't listen to everything, but just as a quick refresher, um, and for P is benefit remedies Thank you. Mean, mean what it sounds like, which is when you remedy something, you're fixing it. And so I tell clients this all the time. The law is good at fixing things pretty much one way, which is by taking money from one side and giving it to another because money's fungible and it can be transferred fairly easy. So most remedies involve money. So if you sue somebody for breach of contract, usually you're going to ask for money damages. The law isn't as good at determining how do you value things that aren't money. Pieces of property, emotional distress, pain and suffering, punitive damages, um, you know, loss of consortium. That's when you, your spouse, you lose your spouse. Um, you can sue for the loss of consortium. Um, and, um, and so we've evolved all these different tests to figure out how are we going to determine, usually how much money 
is going to go from one side to the other, um, or sometimes amongst different parties. But it's it's really about splitting up a pot of money and figuring out what it's worth. So that's where this is coming out of his remedies. It's usually a capstone course taught in the third year of law school. It was my favorite course. I had a great professor. That's what we're doing here today. So if you are not a lawyer and you are listening to this podcast, you are accelerated to the third year of law school. Congratulations. You saved yourself a lot of money, time, and heartache. Isn't that right, Kristen? So, so true. So much money. So, so much, much heartache. So, so much, much time. Heartache. So many big fat books that sit on your shelf for a hundred years and you never open them again. <laughs> there was a flood control project in Duncanville, Texas, and the United States condemned 50 acres of land and city property. And the reason that they condemned the property was it was a flood control project. The case, this is in 1978, that was that the condemnation was. So the, the United States took the land from the city. The city had previously used the land as a, a landfill, a sanitary landfill. And so obviously you, the people of Duncanville, Texas needed a place to throw away their trash. And so they needed a new landfill. So to replace the landfill that had been taken by the USA away from them, from Texas, apparently you can mess with Texas. <laughs> that's, what, that's the rumor, but I've never seen it happen. Maybe this is where that started. <laughs> I think uh, I nominate that for episode title. Apparently you can mess with Texas. <laughs> so to replace it, they needed another landfill, duh. Okay, so they acquired 113.7 acre site. And being as how 10 years had gone by since they first started using the prior land, they made it a better facility. There's no question in this case that the USA is going to be paying Duncanville, Texas, some amount of money. The question is how much? And the question of how much depends on how you value what was taken. So there are some, there are interesting cases now. Um, a lot of, uh, I just heard about a case um, coming out of Portland about um, communities that were taken, um, you know, and, uh, and under the eminent domain power. And there's really kind of unfortunate history of how eminent domain has been used um, in ways that are not cool. Um, and that the people who, the, the families of people who lost their homes as a result of eminent domain proceedings or condemnation proceedings, or sometimes um, just pressure by bigger and more powerful corporate interests, in this case, a hospital in Portland, I just heard it on NPR, um, basically took people's homes um, and turn it into some kind of big thing. And they're, they're suing because it was um, uh, it was taken from them without just compensation. Okay. Okay. So, so mm -hmm. when you say without just compensation, does that really mean, does that mean nothing or $20 or a thousand? You know what I mean? Just when you say- I'll give an LA based example. In LA, there's the 710 freeway, which goes from Long Beach to town of Alhambra. It just ends. There's a 710 stub that like just kind of like goes like a hundred feet and ends. And then there's another end of it that's six miles south in Alhambra. And it wasn't ever completed because the communities, you know, came together and fought the freeway. All of the houses in the corridor that was supposed to be the freeway, the state was going through the process of condemning these properties and taking them. And so what happens, this is a really, really, really long parenthetical, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay. It's I I I guess I got interested in this. I guess I qualify as a nerd. Then me too, because it's fascinating. 
So the houses actually had someone I worked with who lived in one of these houses that were owned by Caltrans. So the the, the state comes and they say, we are going to take this property, right? And then guess what? It goes to court. What's the just compensation? You can't actually stop the state from taking your house. The state has that power. What you can fight them on is what, you, what they're going to pay for it. And so all the litigation in eminent domain in condemnation proceedings is what's the value? How do you determine? And so attorneys who expert who are experts in this area, you know, they get appraisers. And if you if it's your house, you're obviously trying to get the highest value possible. If you're the state, you're trying to pay as little as possible. What happened in that case is that basically there's so much political pressure, it's ultimately stopped and killed that freeway. And so there's now all these houses that were acquired by Caltrans um, and they just sort of rented them out because they didn't destroy them. They they became landlords. And apparently Caltrans is a very bad landlord and, <laughs> and they got sued a whole bunch because they were um, basically not maintaining the properties. So that is a long side note about condemnation and um, um, public works projects and the ways that um, Anyway, there's a there's a long story there about policy and right and wrong and things like that that I think we could talk about. But this one, I'm, okay, shoot me down if I'm taking this too far in a direction. No, but I, I won't I, shoot you I, down. Okay, um, <laughs> thank you. My question is sort of: Is it just sort of if I have the means and the power to to fight for a reasonable compensation? Is that the only thing that gets me a reasonable compensation? Otherwise, they'll pay me $20 for my house if they can get away with it. I think that's an absolutely fair, somewhat cynical, but probably accurate way of looking at it. (laughs) Basically a description of how every city in the United States became the city it currently is in the United States is exactly that. I was going to say, like, I mean, in in defense of the entire concept of eminent domain as, as currently enshrined in the Constitution, actually, it used to be just the case that it was just a fact of life, like that we would just like, it's the greater good and the government could just like take your property and never had to pay you anything. So like, even the idea of compensation at all was actually like pretty revolutionary, pretty cynical on the uh, about the government, at least by the framers, about their ability to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this definitely falls into the same category as quartering troops and things like that. You know that yeah. that that they're basically you know the the people have some kind of rights, but yeah, you know as as is often the case in the law, the people with the the power and the means to fight for themselves tend to do better. That's just a kind of reality. So, right, right. Yeah. 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 So, so um, probably uh, if Caltrans had to do all over again, you wouldn't want to go through a wealthy enclave like South Pasadena because that's <laughs> probably why it didn't go anywhere. Classic mistake. Like, <laughs> the classic blunder. <laughs> yeah. So stick to mowing down the projects. That'll, <laughs> yeah. that'll get your freeway through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so, um, yeah, so that's kind of the, that's kind of the really, um, the darker, the darker side of this is just the way in which those policies, you know, like law and policy are related to one another. And so the policy, the, the policy of the law, I realize this is going to get me banned in Florida. I'm not going to be, I'm going to be off the airways in Florida. I mean, it doesn't take I mean, much at this point to get banned loss. in Florida. Uh, yeah. I don't know how many <laughs> listeners we have in Florida, but I will say that I will say that my that that I know I have at least one occasional listener in Florida. Stay tuned for the next episode: Critical Race Theory versus <laughs> yeah. Government. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's what I'm alluding to. Is that is is the woke um, podcast? <laughs> no, I mean, I actually I do own a copy a copy of the original Critical Race Theory textbook because I got interested in like because people were like, "This is bad," and I was like, "What is it?" And they're like, "They teach it in law school," and I'm like, "I didn't learn it in law school," and I'm like, "Okay, I better find out." But yeah, it's basically the the way in which le- you know policies are used to um you know to create structural barriers to people. Uh huh. And in the case of freeways, it's quite literally a structural barrier. Um, so back to the Texas landfill, you know, maybe this case got chosen for the textbook partially because it's benign and doesn't like bring in some of these issues because nobody really feels bad for Duncanville, Texas. I feel Um, bad for Duncanville, Texas. Have you been there? No, I've never been to Duncanville. Oh. I had to look it up where it was, but it looks like somewhere I would try not to go. <laughs> I feel bad that they're named Duncanville, Texas. I mean, uh, Duncanville. Believe me, there's a I, lot worse going around in Texas. So yeah. yeah, but I'm sure the Duncans think it's cool. So there's that. True, like, sure. like, like Austin is like the 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 blue eyed the blue eye beating heart of uh, things. Like the it's <laughs> like if you're liberal and you must go to Texas, go to Austin. Really, it's true. Like even like from all corners of Texas come these somewhat vaguely liberally inclined children of of, Mm -hmm. uh, conservatives and they all swarm in. Uh, But I will say that um, a mere 20 minutes south is extremely conservative. So, yeah. Yeah, I have I have family who live in Texas. Yeah. Anywho, this comes down to a valuation exercise. And, and, And you're completely right, Pia, that the power of the litigant to to advocate for themselves determines how much money they're going to get. So the city had a good argument and said that we have to replace this landfill. So we're entitled to all of the costs of acquiring a new site to substitute for the 50 acres of land that were taken and develop it into a landfill. I mean, I mean, I guess it doesn't just involve digging a hole. I think there's more to it. And the total cost of the new site was $1.276 million. The U.S., not being quite so generous with the town of Duncanville, said, no, we should pay you for the fair market value of the thing we took, which is the condemned landfill. So not the replacement value, not what it costs to go out and get another piece of land and turn it into a new landfill and not accounting for the property values that are created. You know, so think about a landfill is not a very good neighbor, so it's going to depress property values around it. I mean, nobody wants to live next to the dump. The property value of the landfill is obviously going to be low. Going out and getting pristine property and turning it into a landfill is going to be high. And they made it more modern. And they probably there were some laws that came into effect about handling of waste between uh, you know 1969 and 1978. I believe there were several environmental pieces of, litiga- of legislation passed during that time. So it was significantly more expensive to create a new landfill. So the USA said, we'll pay you $199,950. For those of you who are civil procedure nerds, <laughs> uh, they deposited the money in the registry of the court. Again, for civil procedure nerds, the reason you do that <laughs> is because um, there's such a thing as pre-judgment and post-judgment interest, and it's like 10%. So when you admit you're liable for a certain amount, you want to cut off the interest from accruing, and so you deposit it with the court. Also, that way, the United States can't like skip out, and you go yeah. check, like, where did the United States go? They owe me. Yeah. 
Yeah, was there a debt ceiling the crisis in 1978? I'm not sure. I don't know. Were they facing the global economy melting down because a few people don't think that the USA should pay its bills? Not sure. Anyway, so the jury found that the fair market value of the property was $225,000 and the reasonable cost of substituting it was $723. So then just if it were just like what the standard view would just be, you get exactly or I guess not standard view, but like the the bare minimum would be, well, we took it, so we owe you the exact value of the property, which is the 225000 right? But they're saying on top of that, we also had to get this new one, which was way more expensive because it was bigger. And then the jury said, well, we can't, you shouldn't get all of the money for the bigger dump. We're going to give you like a half of a new dump. Like one thing that they haven't, like they, we didn't talk about a little bit, but like they had to replace this dump in general without the federal government intervening in about 12 years, right? Oh, like, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's please, please say more about that, Kristen. This is why I am so grateful to have another lawyer on this podcast because I don't have to know everything. They have about uh, 12 years of life left on this current existing uh, landfill. And the new one they built had about 40 years of life to it. So like quite a bigger return on their investment, but also uh, they obviously upgraded their technology and not all of it was required under law to be upgraded. Also, another thing was the assessments of fair market value for the condemned property were wildly different amongst different experts. It was like between $100,000 and $350,000, which is like actually, you know, double the original assessment. So they didn't really have anything clear or objective in terms of that either. I love that Duncanville tried to like gussy up their old landfill to like, oh, we know it only has 12 years left, but look at how good this old, you're taking away our good landfill. (laughs) Right, You owe so so much more. delicious, awesome landfill. So had they already been shopping for a new landfill or did they only, were they only prompted to do so because this one was taken away? I think they were only prompted to do so. I mean, if I had to guess, but just Texas in general, I don't think that anybody's proactive about replacing <laughs> landfills. Gotcha. This is way juicier than I thought it would be. Uh, one other thing that I'm realizing about this is this is really the United States versus Duncanville, Texas. But Texas was like, no, you're not suing us. It's the 50 acres of land. Like they really kind of like stepped aside and just let the 50 acres of land kind of <laughs> take the hit. Take the hit. Yeah. It definitely is like a federalist case, like like in the sense that the the whole argument is that they're making a, this poor people of Duncanville fund, like fund acutely with their taxpayer money a giant federal project that probably benefits people all over the country, right? Um, that's the that's the stance that they're taking, at least, even though mm. they did need a landfill. True. It's also a very funny uh, way to circumvent like, well, I mean, ideally, yeah, the government would pay for this. But what if, because we don't believe in the government, we sue the government and make the government buy us a landfill then? That's that's exactly the logic, I think, basically. For whatever reason, I, I'm not sure if there were uh, if the district court judge had the jury find these alternate verdicts, but they're kind of two two different standards. One is the value of what was actually taken and the other is the cost replacement cost. Um, and so the district court chose the lower amount plus interest on the difference. Again, there's that point about interest. So $199,950 had been deposited by the time the case was decided, whatever amount of time had gone by, there's a $25,250 difference plus interest. And that was the amount that the U.S. had to additionally pay. 
So Duncanville said, we'll appeal. And the levels of appeal in federal court are you go from district court to circuit court to United States Supreme Court. In this particular outline that I scraped off the internet and didn't bother reading the case. So now we get to the question. The question presented in this case is which measure of value is legally required in a Fifth Amendment takings case? So is is just compensation properly measured by the cost of a substitute landfill or the fair market value of what was taken away? So the lower number is the fair market value, $225,000 is what the jury found. And that that part's not being contested on appeal. That's a fact found fact found by the jury. So that that sits. Or should it be the higher value, the replacement value that the jury found, which is $723,624.01? So it's a half million dollar question. So when we come back, we're gonna take on the half million dollar question. Also a nominee for episode title, although I don't think it's quite as good as the other one. Let's take a quick break and we'll be back. Oh, before we take a break, P is raising her hand. Yes, please. I I, I know I ask these questions that are total non sequitur. That's why I you've just... been a guest six times. <laughs> well, I'm just so curious. Ask the question. What are they doing with their trash while all of this is going? Like, I mean, we're talking about years, right? I think they're sending it to Austin. They they actually, they were sending it to a private facility. They subcontracted with a private facility while they built the new one. And how many years are we talking? I think it was two years. Two years. Oh, that's not terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I can deal with my garbage for two years for sure. Okay. Just curious. Kristen, I am legitimately impressed with your level of preparation. Jeez. I found this case very interesting. Uh, Like, uh, like I like the idea of the government on government, you know, like fighting. It's really fun. And also like, especially with this case, it was sort of like, the big like, quandary is like, do we treat government entities that are suing differently than we treat private citizens? Like, do they have any right as the city of Duncanville to more remedy under the law? And I like that. Uh, yeah, government on government fighting sounds like the like least watched <laughs> yeah. porn, uh, topic. I was going a different place. I was going to say it's like WWE when the heels fight each other, you know, sure. <laughs> USA on USA litigation. <laughs> I mean, to me, obviously, you kind of like you split it down the middle somehow, kind of. Isn't that what you sound like an arbitrator? A very (laughs) Solomon-esque kind of like spin it out. Why are you thinking? Okay, well, because I mean, okay, so obviously Duncanville is trying to get the most and the government's trying to pay the least. So since we all know that, like, you know what I mean? Like, isn't there a fair way where we can really just go i get what you're doing i get what you're doing you know what i mean because it's like i feel like it's a little more black and white than some cases really are because (sighs) we all know what's happening everyone's trying to get the most and get and use the least so getting somewhere in the middle that's what we're going to try to do right we're trying to land in the middle are are both sides trying to get the most in the same amount? And also then, I don't know, it feels like if I go into uh, if I go into this knowing, well, I know they're just going to split this in half. Let me ask for double the amount of money. Exactly. On top of the, yeah. 
Right. You guys, you're getting into comedy court before we. Oh no! Court. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's Kirsten keeping us on track. Um, yeah, so that's a great question, and actually, P, I do want to address it because I'm a big fan of mediation. Usually, um, when you're mediating and you're you're controlling your own destiny, you can come up with creative resolutions, and you know, obviously, the town if they had an opportunity to resolve the case um, for more than $200,000 or more than 225, they, they should have taken it. So, you know, in mediation, you're making a decision, you're controlling the outcome and, you know, even government on government fighting can be resolved through a settlement or a negotiated resolution of some kind. Usually things do get, um, you know, more, they end up sometimes more fair and you don't have big winners and big losers. Um, the you know don't know if the u.s would have settled at that point in time um it was the carter administration well known for their heavy handedness i don't know that's a 1970s joke i'm too young to really know what it what the joke means but i, I said it I anyway trying to dissect it okay. yeah i have no idea jimmy carter famously famously aggressive <laughs> You can't grow peanuts without cracking a few shells. Okay. <laughs> All right. With that, we're yes! gonna be back, and we're gonna we're, we gotta take a break. We're gonna be back in one minute with Comedy Court. Here's the story of coronavirus. When the government was clearly unprepared, all of us had heard the. You're on mute. Live comedy the second Saturday of every month at the Pack Theater in Hollywood. Welcome back. Now it's time for Comedy Court. Woo! Calling the case of the United States versus 50 acres of land. Oye, oye, 469, United States 24, 1984. Council, state your appearances. Kristen Drenning for the United States. Pia Smith for the city of Duncanville, Texas. Curtis Rutherford representing the city of Duncanville and the 50 acres of land. All right. Well, Duncanville, you are the um, the plaintiff and the appellant in this case. So please uh, state your case to the court. We had a great Great little trash place. I mean, if you needed trash put somewhere, this was the place to put it. It was easy. It was fantastic. It was, it was, it was perfectly located, you know, right next to a nice river. So all the bad trash could float away into the ocean. No harm, no foul. And then the government stomps in with their big government boots and they take away our lawfully 
presented, lawfully placed, um, uh, trash place. And now we got to get a new trash place. And I'd like to add to that that it was in perfect condition. Perfect we could have gotten condition. another thousand years out of that landfill. And okay. now we are in the position to have to go find another, hopefully, hopefully, um, find objection. another that will be as efficient. Objection. It is stated in the factual records that there was 12 years on that landfill. Just We'll say at least a thousand days, at least maybe even four thousand days. Who could say? But the point is, we had so much use out of this, so much room, so much room for trash. And also, given the fact that trash usage right here in 1972, probably going to go down every year, which means maybe we could have used it forever right now with the newfangled recycling and everything. But anyways, so we have to go out and we have to get a new uh, we have to get a new trash place, and we end up spending so much of our hard Duncanville earned money. Now, the government thinks it can go in, say, nope, uh, you don't have this house anymore. We're going to kick you out of this house and force you to buy a much bigger house, and you just have to eat that cost. And that's not allowed. In this case, instead of a house, I have a question for the. I have a question for the um uh for the um. Uh, this is I'm Justice John Paul Stevens, by the way. You recognize me by my bow tie. And oh, I'm going, yes, nice. yes. Um, so I have a question for the very attractive the, bow tie. Thank you, thank you. I just had it I pressed. Did, I, I noticed fashionable choices. So, well, thank you. Uh, um, you know they do say flattery will get you everywhere with the liberal lions of the court. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so I have a question for the city of Junkie. Imagine for a moment, hypothetically, that the piece of land is an automobile. Like a discontinued 1978 Plymouth Reliant, and when you uh, when it's taken by the government, it needs to be replaced by a brand new, newfangled, being as how it's uh, uh, the 80s, uh, maybe a diesel engine, a uh, really good uh, fine diesel engine. Um, should we pay the value of the Plymouth Reliant that was taken, or this newfangled diesel? type of uh automobile what's your what's your view duncanville well um, obviously oh go ahead no 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 no. you go ahead council so polite well, the people of duncanville well if we you're are. not paying for the cost to replace it then what are you basing it on then basically you can just de- deprive me of my ability to get to work in my fancy car if you take that away and don't allow me to replace it then you haven't really offered any sort of recompense. If you say, well, we're going to take away this uh, this house that you bought, that your family bought 200 years ago for $3 and only give me $3, then you've basically just stolen my house. Absolutely. And let's not even pretend that the idea of having to, to go out and build a new house with the quality of the bricks these days, which are terrible, Back when I built my house, the bricks were bricks. The bricks were real. The bricks were made of gold. And now they're making bricks out of concrete. Do you understand my 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 point? Our facility was top-notch. It was functioning beautifully. It didn't need any like we were in a position to to have a functioning community that didn't need any repair or replacement. And now you've put us in the position that we've got to start from scratch. 
the effort that that's going to take with the new materials that they're putting out there that are nothing near the quality that they were back when we built the facility. Does that make sense, Judge? I think so, but I would like to hear what the United States has to say in reply. I would too. The United Very States curious. has so much to say in reply. Um, I would say first and foremost, uh, when we consider uh, like, t- like what the costs are when we repossess a piece of land as the federal government, when it's a private citizen, we don't care if they have to buy another home. Even if we absolutely assume that they need to, it's never really? part of our calculation. Our calculation is only based on what was the value of the land lost. Why should we treat the government differently? There's nothing in the clause that states that we should somehow, because there's an obligation to continue providing sanitation services, there's nothing in the actual constitution that states that we have to like in any way account for that with eminent domain. I mean, that's not a, it's not a consideration. Let's treat the government the same way we treat private citizens, which means oh my market value. Secondly, this is for the public good. Right, right. For the use of all of the citizens of so not is just what our city the federal or our area, but the whole world benefits from us having a facility that is high functioning and not right. built from scrap material. So true, so true. Which is why the it was the obligation of the city of Duncanville to provide those services, not the federal government's obligation. The federal oh. government is oh. obliged to consider. Other things, the reason that we repossessed that entire piece of property is because it was in a floodplain in the first place. Well, this, I have a question. This is, uh, mm-hmm. this is uh, again, Supreme Court Justice Stevens, because... Uh, Love that uh, bow tie. Mm-hmm, thank you very much. Um, uh, you know, uh, Justice Rehnquist is rather quiet today, and uh, Justice Bork is doing, you know, whatever it is Justice Bork would do if he had uh, gotten anywhere near the Supreme Court, yeah, which he didn't. Which he did not. Yeah. Thank um, God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so my question to you, um, besides taking a swipe at conservative justices from the 1980s, is yeah. um, um, what if the legal landscape um, is such that it requires the city in replacing the take the, the facility that's been taken requires some additional compliance and that compliance um, with, uh, you know, these these. Um, new uh, environmental regulations mm-hmm. um, and sanitation uh, requirements uh, necessitates upgrades that wouldn't have had to uh, come into play. For example, the the mm-hmm. the existing facility was permanent and grandfathered in under existing regulatory regime, right? And the new facility has to comply with a higher standard of, let's say, cleaner trash, right? You know what this sounds like to me. A real judicial economy problem, all right? We don't want our judges to be forced to go on extensive fact-finding missions to figure out what laws and regulations come into play. We don't want to obligate our justices to have to undertake a very subjective journey into what is is a necessary or good faith attempt to uh, comply with the relevant legal uh, restrictions on that use of property. None of that should be important. All we need to look at is the fairly objective standard and very, very easy to find of fair market value. That is, simplifies the entire thing, doesn't clog up the works, and doesn't require a bunch of subjectivity in what could be an objective consideration. Wow. Uh, so, so Duncanville, uh, um, back to my car analogy. Um, mm. If your if your car has been taken off the market because it cannot comply with fuel standards and um, it's being taken by the government, should we pay? Uh, should we pay you the value of that? 
clunker that you can't run anymore? Um, or should we pay you what it costs to get a new car that you could actually drive? You need to pay me what it costs for a new car to actually drive. Objection. Get away. Do we need the nicest car? Like, do, can they get a Bentley as a replacement? And would the federal government be required to pay for that? Ha ha ha. I don't think we're trying to get a Bentley. Sometimes you are trying to get a Bentley. The federal government is also pointing out, oh, well, uh, we need to look at this objective cost, right? But how, uh, in your example, uh, Justice Stevens, objectively, without our car, we can't drive anywhere. So without paying for the cost of a replacement car, whether it's a Bentley or a simpler or even a little Fred Flintstone car, or we can at least use uh, get places with the courtesy of Fred's two feet, we need some way of getting places. Just like here, we need a trash site. Right. But does the federal government typically pay for you to get to work uh, or drive or in general? Or is it typically your local government that like helps with does the roads? Does the and federal stuff? government typically take away my car when I'm not if looking? If it's in a floodplain, maybe. Justice O'Connor um, ha- has passed me a note and asked me to, to ask a question. Um, uh, is there a middle path here? Is there a path to resolution that is somewhere between or perhaps a different or new standard we can use besides the replacement value, um, the actual the actual cost of getting a new landfill versus the um, the market value of the piece of property taken? Some some other new test that we could apply here. I'll um, I'll hand this to the United States first. I think if we really must uh, utilize a different standard and not treat the government equally as we treat private citizens, that I guess it would be the cost of compliance. Like, what is the actual impact to their ability to comply with relevant regulations that is is directly and measurably impacted by the loss of X facility? And the people of, of Duncanville, do you see a, a, a middle path besides your total replacement theory? that uh, might be uh, some kind of a compromise position? Uh, Co-counsel, I I, I think we would be willing to compromise. Shall we discuss that in private? Sure. Uh, And by the way, Sandy, great question. I'm glad you passed the note over to to the well-outfitted Justice Stevens. But uh, yeah. Ultimately, we have, we need someplace to put our trash. And as long as that becomes, as long as as we're compensated for that, I think we're okay. All right. Um, I'll give you each uh, up to a minute uh, to make your closing arguments. Um, uh, United States, uh, closing arguments, one minute or less, please. What the city of Duncanville is suggesting is that the federal government treat like um, like the way that Richard Gere treated Julia Roberts in Pretty Woman, just handing over his credit card and saying, go nuts. That's not what this, the federal government is obliged to do. They took this land because they had a legitimate public need that they were serving, and they only need to compensate for the taken land. They don't need to help the city government do its own work. Uh, Duncanville? 
What the federal government is saying is, hey, we do this terrible thing to citizens. Therefore, we should do this terrible thing to the good city of Duncanville and this fine 50 acres of land that we have. You should absolutely replace what you stole. You break it. You bought it. It's not you break it. uh, You paste it back together and put a little picture of it and hope nobody notices. No, they've taken away this important thing and we need to replace it. And we can't replace it with just, well, I sure hope I can get a good one, uh, the same one for the same price I paid 50 years ago. Thank you. I just want to reiterate what my, uh, what the other guy just said, just because you've been running roughshod over citizens all of this time does not mean that you should be getting away with it right here in Duncanville. Unfortunately, what you're offering is not going to allow us to do anything near what is necessary to be done to simply have a place to put our trash. Step up and do the right thing by the citizens of Duncanville. Thank you. The case will stand submitted. Justice Stevens will read the opinion of the court or share the the bullet points of the opinion of the court because the full opinion of the court would bore us all to tears. So the 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 upholding here is going to be in favor of the United States. Big surprise. We're in their pocket. They pay our salaries. Sorry, Duncanville. It does not go into the Duncanville Supreme Court. That's right. The the Fifth Amendment does not require that the U.S. pay a public uh, condemnee is the name of a the person who's having their land condemned a, a city compensation that's measured by the cost of acquiring a substitute facility, even though that city has the obligation to apply to acquire the substitute facility when the market value of the property that was actually taken can be ascertained or figured out and there's no showing of manifest injustice which there's no manifest injustice here okay so even though the city had to get a new dump that's not the problem of the USA the problem of the USA is that the dump they took from Duncanville wasn't worth very much and they got to pay for it the reason for this is that cities don't get special treatment under the Constitution. They're just like other litigants, as the Fifth Amendment applies to them equally. And just because they have a duty to get something, just like someone might need a car, you don't have to upgrade them from a Plymouth Reliant to, I don't know, some futuristic kind of flying electrical car that you can plug into. And maybe it's named after, I don't know, Nikolai Tesla or something like that. You don't have to get them a Nikolai um, just because they uh, you took a Plymouth Reliant, you have to pay for the Plymouth Reliant that you took. That's what the Constitution calls for. And this is a case in which the market value was ascertainable. In fact, the jury determined what the market value of the condemned landfill was. The, um, the testimony at trial gave us lots of evidence of what a landfill is worth. So here, the lower amount that was awarded by the district court is fair under the Constitution or is what the Constitution calls for. It doesn't um, give governments a, an upper hand. There's nothing in the Constitution that says anything about that. Now, I want to talk about a case that wasn't raised at oral argument, but it was in the papers um, submitted by the city. The excellent attorneys from the the city of Duncanville referred to a case called Brown 
versus United States, which is where they came up with this substitute facilities idea that this city is supposed to get paid what it costs to find a new uh, a substitution. That case, if you read it carefully, doesn't really say that cities should be treated differently. And it doesn't support the idea that public entities should be treated any differently from private citizens. So we're not going to follow Brown versus United States um, in this substitute facility doctrine. It doesn't tell us anything um, about this case. It just tells us that it could have, the government could have, instead of giving the city of Duncanville money, it could have given them another dump. That's all. That's all. That's all it stands for. They didn't do it. They gave them money. That's fine. We're cool with it. The fact that the city has to provide those services doesn't tell us what just compensation is. The, the risk here is that the, um, the person whose land could, is taken could significantly upgrade what was taken from them and basically stick the United States with the bill for it. And that's essentially what we think Duncanville did here. They got themselves a shiny new dump to replace their old stinky dump. And we're not going to make the United States pay for a shiny new dump that's super fancy. We're going to make them pay the value of the stinky old dump that the U.S. took and turned into a flood control plane. So the decision of the district court will stand. Judgment for the USA. Sorry, Duncanville. Great and we'll go to the hallway for reactions. Uh, um, we'll go here first from from uh, the people of Duncanville. Do you think that the Supreme Court was fair in this instance? Oh, man. No. I do not believe that that was fair. We're going to appeal, and that's all I have to say. Well, you hear that? The city of Duncanville is going to appeal beyond the United States Supreme Court. Oh, oops. Yeah, well. The, to the yeah, God, you know God Court. <laughs> <laughs> yes, God Court. God probably would agree with you, actually. United Nations Court. Will. Yeah. Uh, United States, um, are you spiking the football in the end zone? Uh, are you going to go to Disneyland? What's uh, What's next for you, USA? We are most certainly going to be going to Disneyland and we are most certainly going to be uh, celebrating, probably going to be doing a dance in the end zone, getting ourselves in trouble. No problem because we slam dunk won this case. I'm mixing a lot of metaphors and that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, comedy court uh, stands adjourned. Um, we're going to take a quick break. And after we come back, a palate cleanser and some improv. And we're back. Today's palate cleanser is from loweringthebar.net, um, which tracks all kinds of funny legal cases around um, the world. This one comes out of Canada. The headline is Canadian Democracy Survives Cinnamon Bun Scandal. Apparently, the allegation here in, the, in a lawsuit filed in January of 2023 was that the second place candidate in an election alleged that the winner broke the law um, through vote buying and voter intimidation and demanded a new election. And the holding here, the finding of the court was that um, no reasonable voter would have been induced to vote differently by the mere provision of a cup of coffee or a cinnamon bun. The cinnamon buns in questions were two buns provided to potential voters at a tea and talk event in British Columbia by mayoral candidate Danielle Veach. Veach defeated the incumbent, Lorraine Michetti, 
by two percentage points. Only 261 of the city's 800 citizens voted. So the margin was just five votes. So the allegation was that this fateful TN talk, it was a meet and greet event, but it gave incentives to vote. And that was illegal to pay, give, lend, or procure inducement to get someone to vote. So here, um, essentially, the, the court said vote buying includes buying coffee for patrons or volunteering to uh, volunteering to drive an elector to a voting place in exchange for their vote. Those are activities that are allowed as long as there's no obligation on the elector, whether overt or implied, to vote for a certain candidate. Veach had told the voters to enjoy tea or coffee with a delicious cinnamon bun and ask questions, get to know me and my plans for working towards bettering our community. It's not clear how many people actually showed up, but she admitted that she did buy refreshments, distributing a total of five drinks and two cinnamon buns. She apparently bought six, but she ended up with leftovers. (laughs) (laughs) So Beach got 84 of the 261 votes, beating Machete by five. Machete said that she had intimidated voters and made false statements and the coffee and cinnamon buns were vote buying. The court didn't agree. And um, Mayor Veach, uh, winning all 84 votes, two of them apparently by providing cinnamon buns, is now the mayor of a place <laughs> in Canada called <clears throat> Pouche Coupe. Pouche Coupe. P-O-U-C-E-C-O-U-P-E. Somebody call Dan Felton and figure out what this says. I feel like the, the obvious like side uh, or ancillary legal case is whether or not like the cinnamon roll company can use Mayor Beach's likeness in their ad campaign. <laughs> 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 yeah, well, I'm sure if it was a certain a certain politician in the USA, you know, mostly that person's interested in licensing his likeness um, and uh, his political ambitions are just for a profit and gain again, losing the right wing of the court. Goodbye. <laughs> How dare you speak about mm-hmm. Lincoln that way? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I mean, I have a quick query that I had while you were. That was fascinating, by the way. And mm-hmm. hey, I, you know, if if someone's vote can be swayed by a cinnamon bun, more power to him. But there was something in there where you said, um. Ex- like a ride to the polls in exchange for you voting for the person. And right. that had me very curious. Well, it was How if you is- were if you were pressuring them into voting for you. So it's it's only it's only against the law if you're if it's a there's some overt or uh, like exchange. Like I'll give you a ride, but only if you vote for me. I think that's how Edgar Allan Poe died. Like they were just like dragging him around Baltimore, like, hey, vote here, vote here. We'll give you some more hooch. And then he like drank himself to death after uh, getting a lot of uh, alcohol from free votes. I got another palate cleanse for you. The quote is someone stole the stolen vehicle. A detective in York, Pennsylvania, wasn't just stating the obvious. Officers stopped a car that had been reported stolen, but the driver got out and ran away. The police pursued, as the police do. And while they're pursuing, someone else got in the car and drove away, stealing a stolen vehicle. (laughs) Where'd he steal it from? He didn't steal it from the first thief or the police because he didn't own it. He stole it from the owner. So he's guilty for stealing the car from the original owner. 
Also, if you're planning to fake your own death, spell check the fake death certificate. This is a story from July of 2020. Apparently, a Long Island man forged his own death certificate, but officials caught him because he misspelled the word registry, spelling it R-E-G-S-I-T-R-Y. Note to self, when faking documents, always proofread carefully. I mean, that's like, to me, it's like he downloaded the template, right? Like he had to, and, and he, so he's got everything. And, and somehow he, like, he decided to what, like, just like add his own flourish by typing up like the, it's so right. fascinating. Yeah. I will well, say as somebody whose last name is spelled R-E-T-H, E-R, but is frequently misspelled R-U, uh, you'll be surprised how many people will look at a, at a word and then it's just they look at the first letter and the last letter, and then they fill everything in. And so the the constant uh, the constant thing is like, oh, do you have you know whatever a reservation for Curtis Rutherford? And it'll be, oh no, we don't. And I'll go, oh well, I think you probably do. Go ahead and check again. It's R E T H. Yeah, we tried that. No. Okay, did you try under R E T H E R? Yeah, we tried. No. Oh, wait, hold on. I just found something. It was spelled R-E-T-H-E-R. Like, it's just the disconnect <laughs> yeah, between yeah. how people spell things. Yeah. It's just they are going to go with whatever they well, think. Well, you know, ironically here, the um, the fake decedent was none other than Robert Berger, B-E-R-G-E-R. Ooh. Not planned. That was not planned. <laughs> well, that'll do it for palate cleansers. How do we feel about some improv? Friend, my friend took me to see a landfill in another city, and I was so confused. It was not as nice as ours, and 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 not as perfect. How did we end up with like a Goldilocks of landfills such as our own? Yes, people frequently come from miles around here to Duncanville to see our our radioactive green rats and our cockroaches that are three times the size of normal cockroaches. <laughs> Are we just lucky here, or did they have to do a lot of planning to make a, a, a radioactive dumping site the way that we have? Well, it's really about city planning, and I know this is a city alderman elected by a two-vote margin, that um, you know, when we built the dump, we decided to build it right next to the power plant. And so we just kind of, you know, instead of having to dispose of n- nuclear radioactive waste in those inconvenient kind of ways, like safely, we just sort of have someone like, um, you know, Charles, just take it out the back door and dump it in the landfill because, you know, the ground can absorb everything. I'm so glad that you're our alderman and that you make the decisions and not the big, bad federal government. Well, you know what they say. You can only mess with Texas occasionally, but never Duncanville. I think they got to make that a little more pithy. It's kind of hard to fit on a, on a on a bumper sticker, but. Okay, okay, everyone, line up right here, right here, right here for the for the Duncanville tour of our beautiful dumping site. We have a special tour designed for you today, and I want you to hold all questions. We're just going to be leading you straight down this path here. Now, you notice it's lined with gold because we have the fanciest dumping site in all of the USA. Now, you notice here on the right, we start out with a bar. A beautiful bar right here in our dump site. 
because we got the fanciest dump site in all of the USA. And guess who paid for it? The citizens of Duncanville? No, ma'am. Anybody else want to guess? Any, any other members on the tour want to guess who paid for it? Exactly. So, so maybe Andrew Carnegie. Mm. One more guess, and it starts with U N C L E. Sam. Oh, Uncle Sam. Wow. I so I am so excited to take you even further deep on our tour where the entire basin is lined with gold and diamonds. Excuse we me, uh, I will take all of your jackets before you continue, please. Your jacket, your jacket. Oh, well, thank, thank you. you. Thank oh, you. That's very kind. Thank you. Now, this is Harold. He will be your butler for the entire uh, excursion. He is magnificent. We had, we each... Week we have him flown in on a jet from the Great Britain, where you know they only have the fanciest of butlers there, and he is but one of the fanciest of fancy, exquisite pieces of our wonderful tour. Every week I try to return to Britain, and they send a jet and pull me back. Um, if I could, I just, I have a piece of trash. Is there anywhere I could put it? Um, I just want to throw it away. Oh, well, but of course, we have right here, if you just do this pull out with this beautiful maple, we have the most beautiful silk-lined maple-carved dispensary there just for your trash now be careful you don't want to scar it or scuff it or anything because this is the fanciest of the fancy so all the trash is in in oak or maple uh carved that is correct sale? that is correct provided by, by the government of the usa now i know you all paid very dearly for your tour but I want you to know that we are going to provide you with a coupon where you can get yourself one free beverage at the fanciest bar here with the best bartenders in all of the USA. Now, now, ex excuse me here. Excuse me here. I, I, I'm very upset about this tour. You see, I'm a contrarian and I, I promised my wife that I was going to take her on her honeymoon to a dump. All right. She's like, where are you going to take me? And I said, I'm going to take you to a dump. Now, this dump is no dump is what I'm saying. And I'm terribly disappointed, terribly disappointed. And I would like a full refund because this is our honeymoon. And when I promised my wife a dump, I want it to be smelly. I want it to be stinky. I want it to be German fested. I want there to be vermin. I want there to be trash flying about seagulls eating um, eating rats and, you know, donuts that haven't been seen in months and, you know, old parts from automobiles that have turned into octopuses. I want some real trash. This trash is, it's just too clean, too clean. I demand a refund. Sweetheart, be careful. You're working yourself up. You don't want to have a heart attack. Oh, you're right. I am quite worked up. In fact, my blood pressure is feeling rather high. I'm a bit like, I think I'm going to need to sit down. Uh, I, I don't know if someone could get me some, some cool glass of water or something. Uh, 
Oh, that butler over there, maybe he could help me. Help him. Oh. I'm sorry, we only have champagne. Oh, my husband. He's, oh. he's in. I think, I think that should be okay. I think that oh. the champagne. I think that this glass of Cristal is going to soothe your heart, sir. I'll take it. Gonna be <laughs> oh, uh, oh, dear. Oh, I feel dear. better already. I, I, I feel healed. Here, now, if you, if you would allow us to escort you to a rest and area where we have cotton sheets made from the best cotton imported from the Egypt. Wow. I'm going to tell all my friends about this, this Duncanville trash healings retreat. My this husband's is never amazing. looked so good. Except one, one thing. I, now I want a divorce because I'm no longer going to be a contrarian. I'm going to change my ways. I want to be married to someone I love, not someone I can't stand. Can I I've changed my that entire champagne? perspective. Here you go, darling, pouring you another glass. Thank you. Bubble, 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 bubble. Now, sir, I, I, I am going to have to insist that you stay married to your wife. Now, we, we, are, we are not a place where people come for divorce. Nothing but love here in our dump. You, you hear that, sweetheart? The city of Duncanville wants us to stay married. Well, do you... I don't know, maybe they got marital canceling here or something, but I don't know what to do. My head's all confused. I had the heart attack and the champagne and I'm not a contrarian anymore. And who am I? Who am I if I'm not a contrarian and married to someone I can't stand? I don't want to be married to someone I love. I mean, I do want to be married to someone I love because I'm no longer a contrarian. Now I'm confusing myself with my internal contradictions. Like, do they have a marital therapist in here, Mr. Harold Butler, sir? Can you find us a marital counselor? Perhaps you're qualified. I don't know. We have, of course, many therapists here in the dump, each one more luxurious than the last. We have not just marital therapy, but rich marital therapy. A marital therapist who will solve problems while handing out pearls and eating oysters. Well, that for by the U.S. government. <clears throat> Well, I think it's time, honey, that we tell them, surprise, we were undercover federal agents and we were oh! we were just scoping this place out. <laughs> Bulled you again, didn't I? <laughs> Duncanville trying to make your gold line dump. Fooling, we fooled you this time. We went deep undercover, deep undercover with a complex and deceptive scheme of who our true identities were. I spent months studying my character, by the way. We actually did get married in a court of law. And I really can't stand her. I mean, truthfully, so much. I yeah. mean, we really just despise one another. We have to take separate cars on the way home. It costs the government a lot. I, I, well, I have to say, I'm so happy that you that you do love one another and that you're going to stay married. But we've done nothing wrong. I don't understand why you would be investigating our facilities simply because we happen to be the wealthiest and the most exquisite and the most fanciest dumps in all of the USA. Respectfully. No crime. Respectfully, Uncle Sam has had enough. He's not going to put up with it anymore. You can't pull any more fast ones on him. He knows that Duncanville's not paying. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for your 
favorite game show, the contrarian dating game, the dating game in which people only date people they can't stand. We have in this corner, we have contestant number one, Jim. Jim doesn't like people who have a name that starts with the letter A. And today's bachelorette number one is Abby. Bachelorette number two is Annie. And bachelorette number three is Amy. Jim, you've got control of the game. Please ask a question to Abby, Annie, or Amy. <sighs> what could my first question is, could you change your stupid name? I, I, I don't want your name coming before mine. Uh, Ab, Ab, Abby, 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 could you change your name? Could you become, I don't know, Labby or Habby or Tabby? Um, well, Jim, <laughs> you're so, uh, your voice is so adorable. Um, is it okay if I would, would, would you mind if I went by my middle name, oh, which is what? just Justafina? Okay, Justafina. Okay, so we now have. Okay, so yeah, you're in the lead yeah. right now. I mean, because you just sound like an awesome guy. Um, sounds like you have a job and maybe a car and um, possibly a place to live. So you're right up my alley, Jim. Um, so I'm happy to just cross Abby off and be Justafina. Okay. Jim, do you have any questions for Amy or for Annie? Amy and Annie, you know what you have to do. Uh, I would like to go on the record and say that uh, I hate your name, and I think you should change your name to also be Amy because um, people hate people couples that have the same name, and I think that's fun. Okay. Wait, wait are you a contrarian? Or are Yes, I am, but only a few aren't one. Uh, okay, we've got a real contrarian conundrum here. Well, nobody asked me, but my middle name also starts with an A, so this option is off the table for me. I simply cannot change my name. My name is Amy Andrea Anderson. <laughs> Can we get, just get her out of the show? Can we just kick her out? I like her name. Well, Jim has also reported in his uh, pre-show interview that he insists on having a woman who's totally incapable of cooking. Now, we have three excellent chefs here today. Amy is the owner of a five-star Michelin star restaurant in downtown Austin. Abby is known for her peach souffle, which she invested, invented and has been published throughout the country. And Justafina. Uh, and Thank oh, you. I'm so sorry. Justafina is known for her peach souffle, which has been published in, in uh, cookbooks across the country. And uh, Amy um, is also a, a, a sommelier. So, Jim, uh, question, uh, do you have a question for any of these uh, bachelorettes about their cooking? <sighs> I feel like I showed up 
as a good-hearted contrarian expecting to find love, and I find out that you are also contrarians trying to out-contrary me, and one of the contestants is a contrarian? Uh, You can only eat at my restaurant if you vote for me. Wait, what? I just want to put that out there. I'm running for mayor of Austin. We can. Okay. Yeah, I'm not willing to make any concessions on the cooking. So uh, if I can't be appreciated for my cooking, I spent years in culinary school and you're just going to have to appreciate that, Jim. No more concessions for you. Well, I think the, the producers made a mistake because as a sommelier, I don't cook at all. I simply pair. Oh. And so I think I'm far more qualified. I'm not a contrarian in any way. I simply happen to be checkmated by the AAA of my name and the fact that I do know delicious flavors. So, Jim, I think you should choose to go out with me. Sorry, sorry. We got to shut this down. Uh, it's me, it's the landlord. It's Caltrans. Uh, <laughs> turns out we didn't, uh, you know, we're not really going to, we don't want this whole TV studio set up. You can't do that. Uh, we're going to try, uh, what, what we were really hoping is to have about five different hallways uh, and they all cross each other at random times. Most of the time, you'll have to go all the way from the right hallway, cross very quickly over to the left hallway in almost no time at all. I think that sounds great. There you go. I like it. Oh, wait, hold on. Sorry. Uh, what's what's with this floor? It's all smooth. It should be uh, it should be bumpy. Come on, guys. At Caltrans, we have a simple, simple motto. Okay. Bumpy roads. <laughs> That's it. That's the motto. Bumpy <laughs> roads. Okay. Uh, look at this. I can walk along this no problem. If I were in a wheelchair, I could easily go across this. We should have sidewalks that stop at any point. We should have jagged, jagged bumps and maybe some trash on the ground. This is this is unbelievable. As a landlord, I'm disgusted. Uh, welcome to Jamel. Uh, Decker and Klein, uh, the ad agency that specializes in government branding. Um, we've got um, a really full slate today, but we're going to uh, just uh, get the team together here. We're, we're supposed to um, come up with some n- uh, new slogans for Caltrans. Apparently, um, their bumpy roads campaign isn't going so well. So um, just, you know, maybe let's go around the room and kind of brainstorm and throw out some different ideas. I'll start. Caltrans, you can't get there without us being here. Oh, um, I, I, I'm going to go with uh, no more tires. Um, <laughs> no more tires. It's pretty direct. Yeah. Caltrans, you're being taken for a ride. Oh. How about Caltrans? What option do you have? <laughs> um. How about how about we just do something that's just name identification like Cal, Ifornia, hmm. Trans, It, and then we just kind of do it in a really neat font. Ooh, I Ooh. love it. That's great. Like, like, like the opposite of shortening it. Mm-hmm. 
in fact, why don't we <clears throat> expand it to uh, the California Bureau of Transportation? True. Yeah, actually, maybe we could make it even longer. The California Bureau Department and Ministry of Transportation. Ooh. These are all fantastic. And they're much longer without going anywhere, which I think is perfect for Caltrans. It exa- it, it, it it tells our story. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's true. It's, it just captures the, captures the brand. It's like Caltrans going somewhere eventually, if you're lucky. But don't count on it. Caltrans going through your neighborhood and mowing down the homes. Yeah. Like really on the nose. Yes. Really on the nose. Homes to roads. Oh. Homes to roads. Kind of like a whole, like, like a whole thing. It's like images of like homes turning into roads. Sure. What about, what about like imagery? Like if we're just like Caltrans, we keep the orange vest business in business. Ooh, um, California, Caltrans, uh, ever wonder where to get a bulldozer? Now you know. <laughs> How about uh, Caltrans? California isn't going anywhere and neither are you. Caltrans. Ever wonder why your grandmother is homeless? I, I'm liking these mottos that are offering questions, right? Because they open things up, right? The common things that we've all thought, right? Where do we get a bulldozer? Why is my grandmother, who used to have a home, now homeless? Because, and of course, the obvious answer is Caltrans. They built a road through our grandmother's home. Right. It's super Instagrammable. You could yeah. have all that, like the hashtags, like hashtag destruction, hashtag how many lives will it take? You know, just just like more, you know, engaging people in a, in a conversation about conversation. How about a campaign based on the caliber of your transportation? And it's like oh. an open question. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do you care Maybe. about the caliber of your transportation? Something tying in the 50 acres. Ooh. Like Caltrans, acres of roads. Oh, guys, guys, sorry I'm late. Um, I uh, I died. Here's the death certificate. Uh, sorry, I can't come to work today. Uh, Bob, you know, um, We've been over this a few times. Um, you can't be dead and also deliver your death certificate. It's weird. Number one. Number two, I'm tempted to be persuaded by this very official looking death certificate, except for the fact that you spelled your name, Bob, backwards with a lowercase b first and a capital B at the end. Now, I know that that's not a mistake that the department in charge of death certificates caltrans would make and it looks like the o is an a or it's kind of ambiguous it's weird 
I, I personally think it looks legit and I mourn your death. Thank you. Seems like you're all criticizing a dead man. Oh, I actually feel oh. really bad. Yeah. Actually, I'm, I'm kind of, just confused. I mean, I really, I guess, I, guess, I mean, I really liked Bob. You know, it's despite his constant absenteeism and the fact that he never washed his hands after going to the bathroom, I liked his personality. I felt okay, like he was okay. Charming. I'm just so Bob is right here delivering his death certificate. So I'm kind of like, we're talking about him in the past tense, or I'm sorry. Listen, yeah. Cynthia, it's. You know, you're always doing this thing like where you're believing the reality you see, but you're just being red pilled. Okay. So clearly we've got a document that says Bob is dead. Bob brought it in and told us he was dead. If you're just going to believe the facts and information that you observe in the world around us, then you're just a sheep. You're just like all the other lemmings running off the cliff and flying as lemmings do. And, um, you know, you need to accept the reality that Bob told us he's dead. Bob yeah. gave us a death certificate. It's been, you know, I've been checking message boards this whole time on my phone and it's apparently all over the internet. Okay. Um, Bob was a gaslighter in life. That's what and it says right now... here on Twitter. Rest, rest in peace. Okay. Uh, so I'm the weirdo because I want to believe the facts. I, okay. Um, I'm, does anyone else think that she's a lizard person? I have been suspecting it for a while now, and I feel like I think so by her 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 just total refusal to accept reality. I mean that that's that's what the lizard people do. I, I don't know. Are you, I think we should you know maybe take Bob. Would you want to go to a memorial lunch with us? We were thinking about you know hitting poquito mas later, and I'm just wondering if you want to come with. Oh yeah, poquito like, mas. Yeah, you, the, the, that'd be great. Would you maybe just, you know, pour out a couple for, for um, you? So I know I'm just a lizard person, but isn't it weird that if Bob is dead, that he would be standing before us answering questions? Listen, I Cynthia, I know, you, I know you don't like Poquito Moss. All right. I, I know you don't like Poquito Moss. So we could go to the Cheesecake Factory. It's fine. Okay. It's kind of a passive aggressive way to object to the restaurant, but it's, it's fine. We could do the Cheesecake Factory or or um, Olive Garden. Yeah, those big salads. Mm -hmm. Wait a minute. This death certificate expired yesterday. Uh oh. Oh, so now somebody wants to speak the truth. Okay. Give oh. me some more facts. Well, the form is no longer relevant. It's That's right. It's a death and reincarnation certificate. That's right. Breaking news across the United States. Death certificates are expiring, causing the dead to return <laughs> often to their former jobs. Speaking on it now is recently elected mayor, Amy Emerson. Uh, listen, uh, I like the dead people returning. I think they seem fun. If you don't like them, that's your problem. Uh, don't come to Austin or come to Austin. Whichever you don't want to do, do that. Um, Amy, hi. Uh, I'm I'm with the uh, with the Sun Times, and I just want to ask you a few questions. Just trying to keep it real. I prefer because to I keep noticed it that we're unreal. floating off into a you know into a world where facts no longer matter. Right. Please explain to me how it is that a death certificate can expire. Well, uh, I, I, I'm doing a story. See, 
what you do is you find a something like a death certificate that should never expire because death is a one way street. And if you're me, a contrarian, you create a field on that certificate that says expiration, and then you fill in a date, and voila, the magic. I, uh, uh, Bob, Bob Boberson here from the um, from the Daily Mail, uh, the Daily Mail of Austin. Um, you know, a lot of the the recently reincarnated have been demanding better services here in Austin, similar to those up in Duncanville. Apparently, Duncanville has some kind of amazing new trash facility, and the dead are saying, you know, we demand better trash. Are you going to address your new constituency? Um, you know, we we need some hard hitting news here. Uh, I would like to urge all of those who are unhappy with Austin's dump facilities to go throw themselves in the Duncanville trash. Excuse me, I have a question. My name is 50 Acres of Land, and no one's been paying attention to me. I'm paying attention to you. What? I care but, about you. Uh, hold on, I'm being flooded right now. Oh no. Um um excuse me, Mr. Mayor. I mean I mean Mrs. Mayor. I yeah. totally apologize. I don't um, mind. Oh, cause oh yeah, you're, you're so kind. Um, I, I I'm one of the tour guides at 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 the dump in Duncanville, and um, I would like you to address the fact that um, our tourism has been dropping off recently, and uh, I believe that is it is due to the fact that you are giving our town bad publicity. You are telling folks that we don't have the right to the fanciest and the nicest and the beautifulest and most expensivest facility in all of the USA. I would now, like you to address this. You've been bad-mouthing us. Well, now that I've been elected mayor of Austin, I'd like to say that actually I do think Duncanville has the right to the fanciest and nicest of all the facilities Thank in the you. United States because I am a contrarian and I refuse to do what's good for me. Thank you, Mrs. Mayor. That's all I needed. Okay. Zombie times question. Brains? Brains, no brains. No brains. Brains? Uh, hold on. This, this, zombie, this zombie's leaving garbage everywhere. Come on. Hey, 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 zombie. Come on. You can't leave a mess in Texas. Pick up after yourself. Don't you mess you with Texas now. Can't leave a mess in Texas. Sometimes you can leave a mess in Texas. <laughs> well, sometimes you can in the fanciest of the fanciest of the supremest of the goldiest and the glossiest dump in all of the USA. That's really long for a bumper sticker. I like I like uh, mess with Texas and you'll wish you hadn't. Ooh. <clears throat> mess with Texas and fly out to where was it that uh, Cancun? Uh, cr yeah, fly out to Cancun when everyone complains. <laughs> uh, How about Texas is a mess, but you can make it less mess. Let's get messy in Texas together. <laughs> <laughs> that actually sounds appealing for tourism. Like that, just like you know, like big pits of mud. Like let's get messy, Texas. Uh, Texas, the bad kind of messy. 
Well, folks, that's our show. We've uh, we've had a great time here today with our host and our special guest, Pia Smith. And before we go, a little shameless self-promotion, starting with Pia, where can people find you on the internet and socials? Um, you know, I don't be on there that much, but I gotta improve. I gotta step up my 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 Instagram game. So find me on Pia Minsky Style on the Instagram. And I'm gonna throw something in, up there today just so that when you go there, you'll see something awesome. All right, and your Poshmark. <laughs> yes, and I'm still holding it down with the five uh, with five stars. Five stars uh, on Poshmark. Same same address at Pia Minsky Style on Poshmark, and I will sell you some amazing wardrobe at a at an excellent deal. Awesome, uh, Kristen. Where can people find you on the internet, socials, or otherwise? I have finally bowed to a public demand and I have created an Instagram. It has four posts that I urge you to check them out. It is uh, at Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N, Drenning, D-R-E-N-N-I-N-G. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Kristen. And uh, Curtis, where can people find you? Oh, well, I've always caved to any social media as soon as it comes up. So you can find me on the basically everything at actually Curtis, including Hive, which people were very into for about three days when we thought Twitter would die. And I forget what the other ones are. Are you on Mastodon? I'm I'm <laughs> not on Mastodon only because I I barely missed it. And then only there were only the furry Mastodon servers <laughs> and like the German servers. And I was like, I don't want to deal with this. Yeah. <laughs> Create an account. I don't know what it is. I got it's like, oh, Twitter's going down. What am I gonna ever do with my time? It turns out I found other things to do that don't involve social media. But ever since Twitter started sucking, I've had like a lot more free time to do things. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm Billy DeClerc. You can find me at Comedy Lawyer pretty much on every social, including some of the weirder ones. And at Max Hedrum Esquire is my original Twitter account. That's our show. Let's say bye-bye. Bye-bye. Cheers.